This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, podcast fans, going on? How you doing? Episode 218, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. Tell you what, before I get going here, this is an audio podcast. Obviously, you can't see, you can only hear. But I got to tell you, man, I my daughter bought me this Dwight Troop bobblehead. And the way my mic's set up, the way I'm positioned here, in this podcast studio, this thing is staring, it's gawking a hole right through me right now. It's about a foot, maybe at most away from me. You know, I love the office, love Dwight Schrute, but it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. So hold on here. I'm going to move, I'm going to move Dwight's face a little bit here. Go stare at that wall, stare at that uh, calendar over there. It can't be looking at me like that. Anyway, welcome everybody. New episode today. It is essentially Part two of Nick Bat Week here on the Talk of Buffalo podcast. Nick Bat, of course, is the co-host of the Nick and Nolan Show, a very popular, very popular Buffalo Bills podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Had Nick on the show as well Wednesday. Well, yeah, actually, technically I did. Though it wasn't me interviewing him. It was the other way around. As some of you know by now, did not have a podcast last week. I went through a COVID-19 scare. Go back and listen to Wednesday's show. I'm not going to talk about those details again if you didn't hear them already. Long story short, I feel great right now. But that week, last week, I was on the Nick and Nolan show. Bruce took the week off. Nick asked me to come in, fill in for Bruce. Well, sort of fill in for Bruce. I mean, I'm not going to talk. I don't have anywhere near the knowledge and the analysis when it comes to the Buffalo Bills that Bruce Nolan does. But anyway, Nick asked me to come on do the show. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was, it was different. I'm used to asking the questions. I'm used to interviewing people. So it was different and fun, frankly, to be on the other side of the mic and having Nick ask me questions about my life and my career and my likes and my dislikes and my takes on certain things. It was really cool. So anyway, I did the Nick and Nolan show and on Wednesday's podcast here with their permission, I re-aired that interview because again, it was a lot of fun. And I knew I was going to have Nick on Friday. So that was part one of Nick Bat Week here. Today's part two, but this time it's back to normal. I'm the one who's interviewing Nick. I'll be asking at least most of the questions anyway. You never know, I suppose. But look, I really like Nick a lot. He's a great guy, a really good podcaster. And I'll tell you what, man, he works hard. And I mean really hard on the Nick and Nolan show with Bruce. 
does a lot of the gritty behind the scenes stuff that fans don't see. They only hear the finished product. A lot of work goes into it sometimes, especially the, the broadcasts that are more professionally produced. And that certainly is the case with the Nick and Nolan show. And that's obviously something that I have a very big respect for. So anyway, I had Nick on the podcast one time previously. That was back in January. But I'll tell you what, with everything that's been going on, it feels like a lifetime ago for me. So I'm very excited to have him back on today. We're going to talk some Buffalo Bills, of course. We're also going to talk some life stuff as well. Uh, The type of conversations that I really like doing, the type of conversations that I pride myself in having on this podcast and make it a little bit different from most Buffalo Bills or just Buffalo podcasts in general. So anyway, here it is. Co-host of the Nick and Nolan Show, my chat with Nick Bat. All right, my guest today, co-host of the Nick and Nolan Show, a very popular Buffalo Bills podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. It's harder to say than I thought it was going to be, by the way. It was nice enough to have me on his podcast last week. Now I'm stealing him for mine. My man, Nick Bat. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How are you? Feeling better? Well, I do feel better. It took me two takes to get that intro correct. <laughs> well, I, was, I, that. I, I wasn't asking you about your health. I was asking if your pride was okay. <laughs> <laughs> my pride is a little wounded. My health is definitely better for sure. Uh, I feel better, a little bit winded, but hell of a lot better than I was when I uh, did your show and was kind of sweating out last week. I talked about this a little bit on my podcast Wednesday before I replayed the interview that I did on your show, which by the way, if people listening, you haven't heard that yet, go check it out. Um, I think it was more the the anxiety of waiting on the results of a test than anything else because I was never really symptomatic. I mean, I've had the things that were wrong with me have been wrong with me for quite a while. I have COPD, so shortness of breath is nothing new to me. And I was having some minor headaches, but my wife was the one who was not feeling well when we went to the, and again, I don't want to rehash the entire story, but she had a sore throat. She was a little feverish, just didn't feel well. And we go to a pop-up, I call it a pop-up like drive through COVID testing station, which was really weird. But anyway, long story short, we both got tested for COVID because we live together. So odds are if she had it, I had it, vice versa. She got tested for strep throat, stuck a swab down her throat. Instantly, it came back positive. And then they tested me because of that. And I was positive too. And I didn't have any symptoms though. So waiting, and, and the doctor said, quite frankly, that COVID likes to be accompanied by strep throat. So that was worrisome, man. And you know, just the stress all week was more than anything else. It got to the point where after four or five days, I still hadn't heard. Got to the weekend. And I'm going to be honest with you, at that point, Nick, I, I kind of was hoping that I had it because I feel like if you have it and you get through it, that you don't have to worry about it, at least for a certain amount of time anyway, from at least from what I'm reading and hearing and seeing. So because I never got symptomatic, I was kind of hoping that I had it. But then I started thinking, I'm like, this could turn really bad at any point. So Long story short, I ended up being negative. But yeah, man, it was, it was a pretty stressful week, that's for sure. Just waiting for results more than anything. Yeah, well, I'm, I haven't gotten to a point where I went through that, but I, I expect, you know, if this thing hangs on for a long time, then that'll some version of what you experienced, you know, a lot of us will probably we'll go through it whenever we get sick of some kind and we wonder, is this COVID? Is it something else? Is it normal? Is it strep? Is it, you know? So yeah, I'm I'm glad you're well and it wasn't COVID and that we, you know, no, no issues as far as that's concerned. 
Nah, I'm, I'm very grateful for sure. Now, look, last time I had you on the podcast was back in January's episode 190. Not that long ago, but I got to say this. It was just two days, I think, maybe even one day removed from Kobe Bryant dying. And we had oh, a pretty right. long discussion about that tragedy in a way that felt like yesterday to me when I started thinking about it. But then in the grand scheme of things, you know, with everything that's happened since this coronavirus and the country basically being brought to his knees over the last couple months or so because of it. Doesn't that kind of feel like a lifetime ago now when you were on and we were talking about fresh with Kobe dying? Absolutely. I mean, I, I was talking to some coworkers of mine earlier, uh, either at the end of last week or earlier this week, and just said like, you know, February and January was like a lifetime ago before things, you know, kind of really, really started and the Utah jazz player tested positive and then all the dominoes started falling for what governors around the country were doing and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it, it literally feels like a different world than where we are now. And I think in some ways it, it really is. It really is. And everybody's life has been altered or at least influenced in some way, shape or form because of this COVID. Does this have an effect with your work or anything involved with anyone in your family? How have you been able to deal with it? And has it had this like direct impact in terms of your job or, or people around you, stuff like that? Yeah, luckily, my work uh, has been pretty constant. Uh, I work for a company that is in an industry where we were considered essential. And I also have the technology for me and my coworkers to work from home. So uh, the people that I manage, it, we we were all able to, I you know, I, I toot my own horn a little bit. I, I, was, I was anticipating that this was going to be a bigger deal than maybe some people were just with the news that was coming out in March. And so I kind of got all of the people who are my direct reports, uh, the technology that was needed so that if we got to a point where we had to work from home, even temporarily, that we would be able to do that with as little interruption as possible. And that worked out well. And uh, we've been able to do that in some shape or form since everything happened, where everybody's been working. We are able to do the things that we're supposed to do with our day jobs and my wife works from home anyways, uh, and so she has not had a whole lot of uh, you know, interruption with what she's going on. The biggest thing is that we moved to a new house the week before the quarantine happened. We signed That's the papers. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah we, we actually signed the papers the week that things were sort of like news was starting to build, and then uh, we wound up getting the keys the weekend that it was announced that, you know, that Monday was basically a stay at home order in Ohio. So this whole time has just been for everybody else. I think there's a certain level of, you know, uh, boredom and stuff that people have been fighting with. And that's really only kind of getting to my wife and I here kind of recently because we've been getting settled and doing little DIY at home projects and painting and rearranging and getting things set up and all that. Plus, we have a six month old. And that's, you know, just kind of monopolize your time as well. So luckily, everybody's been healthy. There was a there was a couple of days where my wife had a fever. Uh, it was somewhat early in the process. So the, the likelihood that she was going to be able to get a test was pretty low. So we didn't really do anything with it, just kind of kept her eye on her, had a fever for three or four days, and then it, it broke and she was like, she was okay. I mean, she never had any respiratory symptoms. So again, we, we have no idea what it was, if it was serious, if it was not serious or what. But she's totally better now. 
Um, you know, I've been well, my son has been well, and yeah, we're, we're doing, we're doing, you know, pretty reasonably well considering the difficulties that a lot of people are dealing with. Sure. And a little bit worrisome, like when your wife, even if she has mild symptoms, probably we're all a little bit to some extent paranoid because of this. Now, some people are just paranoid all the time. I love my mother to death, but my mother is like dying every day for the last 45 years. You know what I mean? Every time yeah. she has like a headache or cold or anything, but like in times like this, something like you got to take every little thing seriously. So in some, some capacity, you do kind of have to be a little bit paranoid. Yeah. When she, when my wife got a fever, like a verifiable, obvious fever and the symptoms that come along with that, with the chills and the weakness and the fatigue and all of that stuff, that was a point that was very, very worrisome. I say it, you know, kind of nonchalantly now, like, oh, she got sick and she got better, right? But in the moment, it was it was very worrisome because you don't know, or we didn't know, is this gonna is this the start of it? Is it gonna get a lot worse? Is she gonna start coughing? Is it gonna, you know, be a whole thing? And when that happened, we tried to isolate her. So we put her in my bed, we put her in our bedroom, right? And we, we said, like, you stay in here, you watch TV, you just rest all day. I'll bring you whatever you need. And so I was taking care of our son, you know, all day. And I was trying to do a little bit of work. I told my coworkers and everybody what was going on. So I was able to get away with, you know, not doing a whole lot for a couple of days at the office. But I had to handle my son. I had to try to take care of her. And the, the toughest part of it was... When she would come downstairs to either get herself a glass of water or whatever it was, it, it you know it probably shouldn't have done that at all, but she did. And she would come down. She was wearing a mask because I had a couple of masks. I do a lot of DIY stuff, so I've got a bunch of like those little. Um, they're like they're barely dr- masks you wear if you did drywall work or something sure. like that. And so she was coming down wearing one of those because we said anytime you come out of the room, put on a mask so you don't you know keep it to yourself. And so she would come down. I was holding our son, and she couldn't hold him. You know, she couldn't hug him. She couldn't kiss him. She couldn't do any of the things that you like to do whenever you have a baby. And that was really hard. And it, I will remember that. I think um, I'll remember how I felt in that moment and like the anguish seeing on my wife's face. It's a very unusual thing to see. Um, I'll probably remember that, honestly, for a long, long time because it was just such a weird thing. There's a video that was around on Twitter. I saw a couple of times or maybe on Facebook. I, I don't know. It was of a doctor coming home in his scrubs with his mask on and he still had the cap on and all that stuff. And he opens the door and steps in his house and his little son who's a toddler, probably like three years old or something, goes running towards him with his arms out. And the, the, his dad like sticks his arms out, like says, no, 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 no. And the kid stops and freezes and like, doesn't understand what he did wrong. And then the dad originally, like initially just like the grief of him not being able to touch his kid and like what he's, how he's trying to explain why that he can't see his, but you know, why he can't say goodnight or whatever to the kid. He just like becomes overwhelmed and starts crying. And it was, uh, you know, it, my situation was, was not like that. Right. My wife's not a doctor. We're not, you know, claim, trying to claim that sort of similarity, but it was, there was, there was some, con- you know, connection to that sort of a situation. And again, people are dealing with it way worse. I, I know one of my coworkers, her grandfather passed away from it. And, you know, his, her grandmother is pretty much isolated. She can't see her family. She can't get any support that she normally would get. Nobody could, they couldn't have a funeral and she can't travel home to, to where her grandfather is. Cause he's, he's on the, uh, in the Washington DC area. She can't travel home to be there for her family or anything like that. And 
all of these consequences of just the inability to even support people who are going through hard times in the ways that we normally do is really, um, I mean, it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's different. It's crazy. It really is, man. And I mean, you said it perfect for our own challenges. There's people out there a lot worse. Jeff Boyd, who's a recurring guest on this podcast, when he's done this show with me 15 times, his father passed away from COVID during, uh, during this pandemic. So yeah, surely people, have, but it is. And, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because it's not just physical. Th- I mean, for most people, it is physical stuff, loss of life, loss of employment. People are going broke because of this, but it is, there's an emotional aspect to it as well. You just spoke of one. I'll tell you the worst part for me during this entire pandemic is I have a daughter. Now she's not a child. She's 21 years old and she joined the air force and went to Texas for boot camp for eight weeks. And more than anything on earth, I think, she was looking forward to us going from traveling from Florida to go to Lackland, Texas to be there for her graduation or boot camp graduation. This came up and we couldn't go. And I could hear it in her voice, which by the way, I wasn't able to talk to her for well over a month because she was in boot camp. And when I did, she was heartbroken. You know, yeah. it, it, it was heartbreaking that she had to graduate by herself with a little video camera because of all this stuff. So it does affect you emotionally as well. Now, again, you said it too. I'm in the same boat. We're very fortunate in terms of our jobs. I've been working from home since I moved down here from Florida four years ago. So that hasn't affected me. Hasn't really affected my podcast because, again, I'm down here in Florida. The majority of my guests are from Buffalo or at least Buffalo related. So I've been doing this for since day one, basically, having Skype interviews, phone interviews, stuff like that. It's actually more rare when I get an opportunity to be with somebody in person in Buffalo. So that hasn't been affected, but yeah, man, it's just a a really bad situation. Now, let me ask you this too, because you and I at our core are sports guys, but we're also more than capable of talking about life and pop culture. And we'll do some of that in a few minutes, podcasting, things like that. One thing that neither of us talk about, and I'm sure it's by design here, at least publicly anyway, like on your podcast or on Twitter much is politics. You know, I'm sure you have some pretty strong opinions. I know I do, but that's not what we do. So is it a challenge for you sometimes to kind of bite your tongue, whether you're, and I don't want to get into a, a political debate with you or anything, but whether it doesn't matter, whether you're pro-Trump, Trump, whether you're anti-Trump, whether you love the job that the government's doing handling this, whether you hate it, doesn't matter. You know from having a podcast that when you take a strong stance like that, you're alienating probably half your audience, no matter which way you end up going with it. So is it hard? Is it difficult, challenging for you sometimes to kind of bite your tongue and not have those really strong political takes that you probably are bursting at the seams to have sometimes when you see something that pisses you off? Yes, it's become harder uh, in recent weeks. And I have probably, and anybody who follows me would would have seen that I have become a little bit more vocal or, you know, I try to... um, I try not to retweet stuff. Um, a lot of things come across my feed that I think you know, I'm following people whose opinions I, I you know, uh, find informative and whose uh, writings uh, and reporting is, uh, you know, creating uh, is helping me understand what's going on, I suppose. And so um, I try not to retweet anything or to, you know, put anything out there into my followers feeds that is too. Um, you know, that is too one way or another because it, it isn't why people follow me right now. There are some times where there's things that I think are just, 
I don't know. They're they're just like societally big enough that it's okay to say this doesn't seem right or to say sure. wow or to you know it, and sometimes that's all it is. It's just a it's just a wow or it's a it's a comment that is just sort of acknowledging the extremes that we are looking at or the extreme options that we're given. And when that happens, I you know, I I I'm not particularly worried about it. Um, and I think at the end of the day too, I mean, this is a, this is literally going to be a, a, I mean, a chapter in history books. This is not, you know, an unimportant, insignificant passing of time. This, this is going to be, you know, a before COVID and an after COVID kind of marker in history for our generation and for the people who are alive right now. And so I think that, um, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to be, real about the that that's part of the time that we're in. So it's a fine line. I mean, you, I'm not trying to be a pundit or I'm not trying to put my stamp on anything and, and you know, and change people's minds for the most part. I'm just participating in the public discourse, the same that everybody else on Twitter is, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, it's kind of a long winded way to talk about what you're saying, but the, the, the tension exists without a doubt. Yeah. I have opinions and I know that my followers aren't really inter- – they, they're not friends with me or close to me or follow me for those opinions. So I, I try to you know, maneuver the social media platforms in a way where I can still participate in a way that I want to, and I'm also not you know, pissing at anybody's Cheerios, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know what? I'm glad you said it that way too because like on Twitter, people are not following me for political takes at all. I don't even know why they're following me, period, but – now, Facebook's another story because those are friends and family and they know me. So I tee off. I have been fighting with people that I've been friends with for 30 years. I've lost one or two friends during this process because of social media fighting on Facebook over shit. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to get off that topic. I just think it's something that's very difficult sometimes to maybe not even just bite your tongue, but just not to explode with rage. Again, whatever side you fall on this, for me, sometimes it could be challenging anyway. Lighter note here. Now, you spoke of some of the things you got going on at home. You're working from home. You probably work a lot harder at your job than I do at mine. Let's just leave it at that. You got a you got a young child now, so you're doing projects around the house, like you talked about, to keep you kind of busy. Me, on the other hand, I kind of been doing shit, man. I've been uh, half ass working and doing this podcast, so I have a lot of time on my hands. And I've been watching a lot of TV shows. I binge watched uh, Sons of Anarchy, or I should say, re binge it all seven seasons. I already was watching The Office again, by the way, when this pandemic hit. I just finished the first two seasons. There only is two seasons of Mayans, which was the follow-up to Sons of Anarchy. Really good. So anyway, my point is I've been watching a shitload of TV where you might not have quite as much time. But I do know that there's a couple of shows that you and I are very big fans of that we have in common, The Office and, of course, Parks and Rec. Of those two, which do you like better and why? Oh man, this is a Sophie's Choice question. Um, it's tough. It's tough for most people. Not yeah. Me. Okay, so for me, the the non Michael's. Okay, so here's a question: How much influence does the non Michael Scott seasons of The Office get? Whenever you talk about The Office as an as like a complete entity. Because those are, without a doubt, a significant step down from the rest of the show, right? And that 
if you add that in, to me, it almost it, it makes it a lot more competitive with Parks and Rec. If you're talking about only the seasons with Michael Scott and it, like the the best season of The Office versus the best season of Parks and Rec, then The Office peaked higher. But I think if we're talking about like as a as a unit start of the show to the end of the show, I think that Parks and Rec was more consistently even and enjoyable for me. That's fair. I'll tell you what, though. The one thing I don't agree with a lot of critics that say, I mean, it is true without question. The Office was at its best during the first seven seasons. And for the most part, the last two seasons, at least by comparison to the first seven, they, they weren't even as close to as good. But I will say this. As somebody who is a Dwight Schrute fan, as somebody who has a Dwight Schrute bobblehead that I'm literally looking at right now as I'm talking to you because it's directly in my eyesight here with this microphone, what I really liked about the last two seasons, especially season nine, is it really gave Dwight a chance to shine. And I actually thought that the love story between Dwight and Angela turned out to be really good. I mean, I was completely invested in it. And then near the end of season nine, when they finally hooked up. I was cheering for it. I was I was happy when Dwight finally became manager after all the times he screwed it up for himself. I was really pumped about that. But I will say this too. I do like The Office way better than Parks and Rec. And that's not to say I, I don't like Parks and Rec because I do like it a lot. But my favorite character of either show actually isn't Michael Scott and it's not somebody from The Office. Believe it or not, my favorite TV character, and this might be unpopular opinion, I love Chris Traeger. He... Got me literally, literally saying literally, I still do it every single day. So that's my, actually my favorite character. Uh, See, for me, uh, what gives Parks and Rec a leg up on The Office is that although The Office is an ensemble show and and Parks and Rec is an ensemble show, I always thought that the supporting characters of Parks and Rec were much stronger and could carry much more on their own. They developed those characters outside of the office a lot more than they ever developed Stanley outside the office or, you know, or uh, Kevin outside the office. Now they did a little bit, but not to the same degree that they did every single primary character inside Parks and Rec. But I think that's because they, you know, part of the storyline was about that town, whereas that's not what the storyline of the office is. The storyline of the office is about Dunder Mifflin. It's about the company. Whenever they're outside the office, they're in New York City at the Dunder, at the Dunder Mifflin headquarters. You know, whenever they're outside the office on Parks and Rec, they're somewhere around Pawnee. Um, so that's you know a difference. But uh, Chris Pratt's character uh, Andy, I is between Chris Pratt's character Andy and Amy Poehler and. Uh, Ron Swanson, Nick Offerman, those, you know, and geez, and I mean, you're got, I'm going to just keep going on and on. Uh, but uh, uh, Aziz Ansari's character, Tommy, I mean, I, I, I think that uh, Parks and Rec for me was just a more, it was a show that if I just turned it on and sat back, I was going to just enjoy it more simply than I, than an office episode, but it's just opinion, but that's, that's where I would come out on it. Oh, well, I'll tell you this too. One thing about the office is, a lot of these people went on to become stars. But at that time, Steve Carell was the only star. And he wasn't even all that big of a star when the show first started. Parks and Rec, let's just say Amy Poehler and Steve Carell canceled themselves out. I mean, you have Rob Lowe, who's a big star. He was a big star well before the show. You have Adam Scott, who was a big star before the show. I don't want to say she was quite the big star, but Rashida Jones had done a lot of things before that show. So it was kind of more star- star-studded. Now, I'll say this. Chris Pratt was not a big star. He became a star because of Parks and Rec, just like John Krasinski did 
playing Jim on The Office. But anyway, these are the kind of topics that I could go on talking about forever. Two of my favorite shows. I'm glad now we and you don't have a ton of common. We had, we've talked, me and you talk several times besides just this podcast. We talk on Twitter and shit like that all the time. We don't agree on a ton of TV shows, but I'm do, I am glad that two of the best ones are ones that you and I agree on because they're just fun, man. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they're, they're terrific. I mean, I, they are the ones that you can rewatch a dozen times and you're still going to enjoy them and laugh heartily each time. And that's, that's a special thing. I really agree. And, and one last thing too, then I want to move on here. The only thing I didn't like about Parks and Rec, like everyone talks about the last season of The Office being kind of stupid or the last two seasons. And I understand that there's validity to it. But I will say this, as much as I enjoyed Parks and Rec and even the last season, the flash forwards were a little bit too much for me. Didn't they go like 20, 25 years forward or something like that in the final episode? I just, that I didn't like at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to stick the landing, right? For every show. And I think that sure. the office, I think the office struggled to stick the landing on the season while they were wrapping everything up. I mean, I, they're just, you know, sometimes you've gotten to a point where it's, it's harder to make everything as great as you did at one point. And Parks and Rec was doing their best to tie it up in a bow. And, you know, they make some choices that, um, you know, in retrospect, probably they would maybe even redo, but it's a uh, considering the, complete catalog of the work they did. It wasn't, it wasn't that egregious. I agree. And I'll tell you what, it's kind of funny. We've done we're about 25 minutes or so into this interview. And the biggest takeaway that fans out there can have right now is that it's hard to stick the landing. That's the, that's the takeaway, the lesson so far it is. from this episode. <laughs> so I want to talk about your show for a few minutes. Now I did it last week with you. Bruce was off. I had a lot of fun doing it. It's definitely something different for me. When, when your show with Bruce, you're kind of like me in some ways. You're more about being the host. You're in a hosting role. You're setting up the theme. You're setting up the topics. And then Bruce goes in and he gives a lot of the analysis of the players or the scheme or whatever it is, the topics that are, you guys are doing. Like for this week example, you guys have a big nickel topic, which was absolutely fascinating. Go check that out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But anyway, you, you've done other podcasts and shows like this a handful of times. Isn't it nice sometimes to be on the other side where you don't have to do all the show prep and do the post-production stuff. You just get to show up, talk about whatever you want to talk about, and then be done with it. Because that's one of the things I really enjoyed about being on your show last week. Absolutely. My favorite part about what I'm doing with you right now is once we're done recording, I'm done. I don't have to do mm-hmm. anything more. I don't have to edit it. I don't have to put the intro. I don't have to put the outro. I don't have to upload it. I don't have to listen back to get rid of any uh, unwanted sounds or mute the track whenever I'm talking. And I shouldn't have been talking because I've already done that to you like three times. So there's <laughs> all kinds of things like that, that you, they just make the show better for the audience member. I care. I care what the audience member experiences. I know that you do too. And because we care, that means we're going to, you know, put in more work that make little changes that the amount of work for the change maybe isn't totally commensurate, but you know, it, to us, it's, it's worth it for whatever reason. So yeah, I'm very glad to do shows where I just show up and talk for a little bit. And then I, there's nothing more that's needed of me. That's, that's the easy part. (laughs) Yeah, it, it really is. And I'll tell you what, a good interview for me, like doing your show, when you ask questions, we talked about Florida versus Buffalo. You kind of led me in that direction, talking about both places and the differences, similarities, and stuff like that. 
And as I listened back to it, it really resonated with me. And I realized now that I have a have a pretty big decision to make in about a year, maybe a year and change or so about where I'm going to live when my son's done with high school. And again, go back and listen to the episode. I'm not going to get into all the details there, but it really does. It resonated with me. And when I listen back, I'm like, oh, this, this might be hard, man, because I kind of feel like listening to my show with you, I think I might have talked myself into moving back to Buffalo with it. I think that it's, you know, I, 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 some people are going to bristle at this, I guess, but there's a lot of times that people um, will get a lot just out of speaking their thoughts out, talking them out loud instead of just keeping them bouncing around in your head. And you think you have a conclusion, but once you have to walk yourself through it and you have to, and somebody asks you questions that maybe you haven't asked yourself and you try to articulate your response all of a sudden you have to make logical connections because you're going to say it out loud that you haven't otherwise made. And I think ultimately that's actually what a lot of people, and I've got a couple of friends who do this professionally. So that's where this, maybe this thought I'm about to share comes up. That's why a lot of people enjoy going to therapy because they just get the opportunity to talk about what they're experiencing. They're not unloading it on their family members. They're not unloading it on their friends. Nobody wants to have that friend or nobody wants to be that friend that is, you know, unloading all their crap on other people, right? And, and just kind of being a one-way street. And you get the opportunity whenever you're talking to a counselor or something like that to just, you know, do that. That's, that is their job, right? And that is what, that is how the dynamic works. So I'm, I'm, it's one of the things that I really love about listening to shows like yours and, you know, a, a lot of podcasts I listen to where there are interviews because the person who is being interviewed is getting that space. They're being given the opportunity. And I already like them for some reason. I already like them because they're a musician that I like, or they're an actor, or they're a director, or they're a filmmaker, or they're a podcaster, or whatever whatever they do professionally, right? I already like them. So when I get to hear them like have organic thoughts that aren't just like canned responses that have been curated for them to share, I, I find it really, really fascinating. So it's one of the reasons why I love doing the kinds of shows with that I did with you. I, I love what I do with Bruce. Don't get me wrong. But during the off season or when we get opportunities to, I, get, I did an interview with Tim Graham recently about his piece that he wrote with John Vogel. I did an interview with some uh, epidemiologist and uh, an infectious disease microbiologist about the COVID stuff. I'm, I'm probably going to have another episode with them. All of those kinds of things. A lot of times you get to just ask questions that are people's opinions and people's thoughts and how they get to the conclusions they're getting to. And that in and of itself is fascinating to me. So I'm, I'm very glad that you had that experience. I felt that way and I, I enjoyed hearing your thoughts, but that's, you know, that's part of the reason why I like doing that so much. Now I'm not saying something that most people can't figure out easily here, but when you do a podcast with somebody else, I feel like the key to being successful with it is having good chemistry. Talk about the chemistry that you and Bruce have. Now, this is my opinion. It's not scientific fact, but chemistry is either something that you have or you don't have it. There's no in between to me. I think the average listener can easily figure out, are these guys, do they have chemistry or do they not? Now, you and Bruce, you clearly do. So talk about that chemistry a little bit and how you guys kind of feed off each other. It is something that I'm glad that for the first, let's see, we started podcasting in probably September 
And then we didn't wind up on iTunes until March. So we had, and we didn't podcast every week. We certainly didn't do two episodes every week like we're doing now. And and during the off season, we took extended time off. But we did, you know, a dozen or so podcasts that were super rinky dink with like not a whole lot of, uh, not a whole lot of production quality and all that. And we put them out on SoundCloud. And at the time it was geared towards the Bills Backers Club that we were in. Everybody knows the history of the show and all that stuff. So I won't get into it, but that allowed us to find, I think, a dynamic that worked and that was that was good to listen to. Uh, we, it, I agree with you. You either have it or you don't. But I don't think you know if you have it until you do it a bunch. <laughs> you know, right. you, no, you, I agree with that. On paper, you think, okay, here's two smart people. Here's two people who you know are are able to express their thoughts. Here's two people who are are good to listen to. Let's put them together and see how it goes. And that's not a guaranteed recipe for success. There, there does have to be something to it. Now, the good thing about Bruce and I is that we, we're legitimately, we're friends, good friends. And we get to have that relationship and the shared experiences we have through, mostly through our work, because we both work in the same industry and we we speak about that every day, pretty much. Uh we get to bring all of those, you know, experiences and the trust that we've built and all that to being friends and doing the show together. The other thing that's great is that we have totally opposite skill sets. Now, I, you know, I do the editing and Bruce could do my job. I could not do Bruce's job. I could not prepare because I don't have the football knowledge to do and bring right. to bring to every episode what he does which is the the expertise and the X's and O's and the knowledge about players and coaches and history and all of the stuff that he brings to the brings to the table. What I think I bring to the table as well is sort of an empathy or a sympathy to people who have thoughts that are being shared, uh, you know, we call them, you know, we we make fun of the WGR callers. The the average fan that doesn't have a very sophisticated take but they want something that seems a little outlandish, like they want Matt Barkley to start. And you just think, how could you possibly be in that camp, right? I have a little bit of a way to, to just like, you know, either it's family members that we have, you know, the uncle or the cousin or the whatever that we all know who are spitting out some ridiculous sports takes about the local yeah. team, you know? And you know why, if you think about it, you know why they're there. You know why they come to that conclusion. You might think it's batshit crazy, but you you get it. And so I just try to give those those thoughts places to breathe, so that people, anybody, no matter how you you know think about the bills, whether you agree with us or not, you can come to our podcast, and hopefully, we are going to give your thought and your conclusions and your perspective some airtime. That's that's what my job is. So I think that those two things all coming together hopefully create a dynamic that give bills fans you know whatever whatever it is they like about our show that's all part of the recipe one of your strengths is knowing what your strengths are not and what i mean by that and you talked about it if you tried to do what bruce does it wouldn't come off as well and vice versa so it's recognizing what your strengths are and playing to them and not making a strength a weakness is what i i feel anyway mason nick and nolan show Works so well. Now you had Eric Wood on your podcast recently. I know Eric very well. He's done this show a handful of times. I had a Wings With episode with him last summer. What was it like for you? Because 
All right. So the majority of your podcast, now you have met Tim Graham. You've met a couple sports media people in person. You've done shows with Nate. You went into the WGR studios, but for the most part it's you and Bruce every week or somebody like me, you know, summoning in for Bruce or whatever. That's like, eh, whatever we're boys, but somebody like Eric Wood, you have to start thinking in your mind, at least until you get used to it anyway, man, this is a former pro bowl center. One of the best offensive linemen the bills have had in two decades. Did you have some like pre-interview nerves that kicked in for you before that interview? Because again, you're not really used to interviewing those types of people. Or were you able to just calm yourself and, and, and chill out beforehand? You know what I'm saying? What was your mindset before you had that interview? For somebody who's not used to interviewing people of that stature. Yeah, there was definitely a don't screw this up in my head. <laughs> that The voice <laughs> that was in my head that, that wasn't there previously. I put a little more pressure on myself to do that. Mo- you know, mostly because Eric has been interviewed a lot. And not that the other people I have on the show haven't been. But he's been interviewed more than probably most. And right. if he if he doesn't want to share something, then he probably knows how to not share it, you know. And also at the same time, he's still part of the organization. He is doing the play, the, the color stuff, you know, with John Murphy. He is uh, a guy who is still connected to the organization and a lot of, well, maybe not as many current players as any, anymore. But he's still, you know, he played under the current coaching staff and all that. He signed an extension with with Brandon Bean. And there's, you know, in order to get a guy like that to be candid about stuff that maybe you, you know, that he wouldn't tell normally to the, to any sort of media stuff, right? Because what we were talking about was the, the, the part of his career where he played with EJ Manuel, because I always find EJ Manuel, I find a lot of players, but players who, who were not successful, and who had a situation where the fans turned on them. And that really fascinates me just like from the human experience aspect of it. I know how I feel whenever I get the impression that a lot of people don't like me. It's not good. It's very hard, you know? So to have a situation where you are playing a sport that is as watched and paid attention to, you are playing as prominent of a position. You were drafted in as prominent of a prominent of a position you were hopefully going to be the person who righted the ship that had gone as wrong as the Buffalo Bills, right? This, I mean, it really builds up the situation that EJ Manuel was in. And we all know it didn't go well, right? He, he, he was not the player that we needed him to be and it didn't work out here. And he, he went elsewhere and now he's not even playing now, whether or not he could be, he's made a choice to make a career change, but he's not even in the league, right? I find that very, very interesting. At the same time, Eric Wood is friends with EJ. Right. He, Eric's not going to throw EJ under the bus. He's not going to say anything unflattering right, about EJ. Right. And I don't, I don't want him to do that, but I want him to be candid about the difficulties. And that was what was bouncing around in my head. And I, I don't think I did as good of a job as I could have candidly. I, I think that, um, it was my first time. And I think I learned a lot from, from that doing that interview. I did have nerves and I, I don't think I got exactly out of it what I wanted, but Eric was incredibly graceful with, gracious with his time and generous and very kind to allow us to use some of the audio from his show during a conversation he had with EJ. And um, I hope to talk to him again in the future and to other players, but yes, it's a totally different ball game when you're, when you're going with that. And to think that, you know, if I were to tell my, my, myself three years ago that I would have the opportunity to, you know, record a podcast with Eric Wood as a guest or anybody that I talk to, you know, frankly, uh, I, I wouldn't really believe it. Uh, so it's, it, it's an, it's exciting 
you know, to have the opportunity, but I, I hope I get the opportunity to do it again and that I do a little bit better. I thought you did well, man. And it's very difficult to interview people of high stature like that when you're not used to it. It's just like playing golf or anything. You have to play it before you can get good at it. That's just the way it is. I remember without needing the name names, but there were some people that I interviewed, especially early on in the podcast. Now, again, you and Bruce, the majority of the time are together. So you have that chemistry, that flow. Me, it's once at first, and then it was twice a week where I was interviewing somebody different almost every single week. So I remember there were a couple of times where I was literally pacing around, burning a hole through my rug with my feet. You know what I mean? With nerves before doing a podcast with them until you get really used to it. I don't think that feeling completely goes away. Now, like podcasting is like singing or playing an instrument, acting, something like that. I mean, you got to have some natural talent to do podcasting. But for the most part, I think you get better with time and practice. Do you feel yourself getting better at what you're doing now more and more as you get more experience and doing more episodes like you just talked about with Eric. If you had him on the next week and the week after that or whoever else, you've had that experience. You kind of feel yourself improving because of that experience? Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is that you learn. I don't know that I necessarily learn things to do. I learn a lot of things not to do. I learn a lot of things that I've made that are like little mistakes and the way that I edit or the way that I transition or the speed at which I speak about, mm-hmm. you know, there's all sorts of things like that, that I think have made an impression and that I try to stay within the lines because it just makes it a better, an easier, more enjoyable thing to listen to. But I do think, you know, it, maybe it's the natural talent end of things. I, I you know, I, I uh, bristle at trying to say that about myself, but the, the, there's an aspect of you just want, you want to be genuine. You want to be, you know, you want to be. Uh, you want to actually be who you are, right? You want to have a gen- like your own personality and you want to have some personality that sure. I, I don't want to fake, you know, I, I just want to bring that hopefully. And, and it's, you know, um, it's going to be something that people don't hate. Right. Uh, but the other things, yeah, there's a lot of things that I've, yeah, I'm glad the audio doesn't exist of some of the stuff that we dropped early in our, early in our <laughs> tenure, because uh, it's not, it, we wouldn't be proud of it. I tell you, it's a process. And, to this day, I find myself doing some things that I need I need to improve on. I have a tendency at times to talk too fast. Sometimes I got to mentally tell myself, slow down a little bit. People aren't even going to be able to understand you. Stuff like that. Now, I know this is going to be kind of a blurry line question because they interact with each other a lot, but I'm going to ask you anyway. If you could, or if you had to pick one, would you rather be a big podcast star or would you rather be a big sports talk radio guy? What would you do if you can only if you had to pick one and you can't be like Sal who's on the air and then he has his own podcast. It's got to be like if you're only were doing one or the other, which would you rather do if you had your choice? Is the radio show available on demand? Can you download it like what? To, <laughs> yeah, like, sure. Like, sure. What GR like does? WGR. Yeah. If you could have an if you could have either a daily podcast with Bruce or whatever guest that you wanted to have that aired for, let's say, two hours every day of the week. Or if you can go on WGR and be on the air every day for from three to five or whatever, you had your choice. What would you rather do? And they're both like, like, like they're your gig. That's your job. I don't, I'm not your, doing this on the yes. side anymore. No, you're not doing it on the side. You have an opportunity to make enough money. Your employer is going to pay you enough that you get to do this on a full time basis. If you had I your would, choice, I, I would do either one. But honestly, I probably would pick the terrestrial radio because somebody else is going to be editing it because it's live. So I don't have to do that. (laughs) 
the post production. That's that's a if, fair point. If I did it, if I was a podcast, hypothetically, Bruce and I were doing this full time as a podcast. We would be recording. He'd be doing all the research, like he does all the pre work. We say that his job is before we record. My job is after we record. So I would still be doing all of that. Versus on the terrestrial radio, I wouldn't be. And hypothetically, the terrestrial radio, I would catch whatever listeners I get live. Plus, I would have the show available to listeners who prefer to do the podcast way, which is what you know we have now. So in, I think that we kind of killed two birds. I, in my mind, I killed two birds with one stone doing it that way. But I would gladly take either pet. Anybody out there listening, if you are, <laughs> if you are interested, my DMs are open. So we can, we w- I will respond. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pick that apart just a little bit because I think in parts, you're definitely right. Being able to do it in real time. If you're on the air at three to five, you do whatever prep, you know, you know, spend a little bit of time, what you're going to talk about. And you get there, you do the show, you have a producer who's making sure that EQ is tuned in real nice, that your voice sounds good. Somebody's patching those calls through. You ain't got to worry about shit when you leave the office. For that reason, I'll give you for sure. But there's also a couple other things too about podcasting to me that are a pro. Let's say you are on the air from three to five and you're having a bad day, man. You know, you you and and the wife got into it over something or you're not feeling that well that day, whatever. You go up and and you can screw up on the air. You don't like the way you're answering questions or you ask a couple questions that you feel like they're dumb and you're you're stuck because it's real time. A podcast, you can go back. You can redo it right now. Literally, and I told you this right at the beginning here, I was five seconds into our interview and I screwed up the intro. I said, oh shit, Nick, we got to do this again. Nobody, only because I'm telling them, that's the only reason why people will ever know that. You know what I'm saying? So that's definitely one plus that I love about a podcast. If something is messed up, you can redo it. You could take a part out. There's lots of things you could do with a podcast. You could fine tune it and people can hear it. Again, the, in terms of when they listen to it, you sure, it's the same as WGR On Demand, but you're not in real time. You have some error, you have some uh, room to mess up a little bit and still come out with a good product. That's one thing. And then the other thing too, you're trying to hammer home a point on the radio and say you got an 18 minute segment, but your segment is going to take more than 18 minutes. You have to figure out how to get it done before you go to commercials. Whereas a podcast, there's no length. This interview with you, this could have went for 30 minutes. It could go for 90 minutes. It doesn't really matter. So it's a tougher call. And I actually, because of that, I think if I had a choice to come out on the other end, I would actually pick podcast over radio, but I will add this caveat, which might, which I didn't tell you, which in fairness to you might've made you say the same thing. If you're doing well enough, like if you have a podcast, if the Nick and Nolan show really took off and you guys had a ton of big sponsors and making a ton of money, you could also hire somebody to do all the post-production shit. And that's, uh, you know, annoying and very time consuming as well. So you could come in and do the show and have someone else do the work for you after. Oh, if we do that, then it's it's podcasting. <laughs> if, it, <laughs> yeah, if, we, if, if we get it, if I have a producer who's going to like allow, you know, he's going to, if I have a board where I can still put in some drops when I want to, I've got a couple sound buttons and then the producer, you know, you get a producer who has their own personality and their own sense of humor and they're bringing that to the table and we've got Bruce uh, that's, you know, I'll, I'll do, I'll happily participate in the podcast without a doubt. <laughs> I got a couple things for you. And then I want to spend a few minutes talking about the Buffalo bills. And then we're going to end with the fun fact finale, which was always called the mini lightning round, but now I've changed it. It's the fun fact finale. You talked about earlier listening to podcasts. What are a couple non Buffalo sports podcasts that you listen to, whether it's regularly or even just occasionally, because 
you're busy. You don't get to hear them all the time. But a few shows that you really enjoy listening to when you can. Um, I listen to a lot of Buffalo sports stuff because I try to keep my I try to keep my hand on it um, to know what's what the narratives that are out there are. But I listen to Fresh Air with uh, Terry Gross. Listen to This American Life, which is uh, uh, people who who know that show are going to know it. But it's like just different stories, human interest stories about people's experiences and stuff like that. I listen to a lot of true crime stuff. There's one out of Canada called Someone Knows Something with an investigative reporter. Serial was always a podcast that I was very into. Uh, there's another um, another true crime podcast that was called um, Up and Vanished that I was into a couple seasons of. Um, gosh, there have been a lot that have kind of come and gone. Um, I There was another show that was called Invisibilia that I listened to a good bit that was about just just about like invisible forces in their, in the world and stuff like that. It's not new agey. It's, it's like psychology type stuff. Um, I like a lot. I, I like shows where people get interviewed. So um, armchair expert is one that I've, I kind of go in and out of with Dak Shepard. Yeah, me too. Yep. Um, the, there's a grown, grown up woman is a new show that came out recently with Andrea Savage. She's a comedian who I, and an actress who I find very funny and she does interviews with people. Uh, I haven't ever, you know, I've never listened to, I've never listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. I have never listened to an individual episode of that. Is that it's one that you too listen long. to? long. Uh, well, I never listened to an entire one because it literally takes up three hours of your day to do so. I'm fascinated by how successful he's been and the job he's done. And he is really, I listened to chunks of a lot of his episodes Kind of, I'm kind of like you, like you talked about what I was on your show. When you have an interview podcast, it's kind of guest dependent. Like I already know what Joe Rogan is going to bring to the table. You already know what I'm going to bring to the table. When you listen to one of my podcasts, whether you like it or whether you don't, it's kind of guest dependent. I'm the same way. Like I love listening to Dak Shepard's podcast, uh, WTF with Mark Maron. That's another one I listen yeah, to a lot. I, I like and WTF. Then, and then I do, I mean, it's a very mainstream one. So I'm, I'm a lot of people do, but. I do like part of my take. Those guys are OGs when it comes to sports and humor and really incorporating some great interviews. So yeah, pretty much that's it. But I'm the same way with you. I really enjoy interview ones, but those always become guest dependent. One more podcast thing here, and then I want to talk bills. You know this, you've been around doing a Buffalo podcast long enough. It feels like there's like a new Buffalo bills or, or whatever podcast that pops up every day. People I've never heard of. Suddenly they have a podcast, whatever have you. So for, aspiring podcasters out there because they tend to listen to shows like this, listen to yours, trying to get some uh, ideas, some influence, stuff like that. Do you have any secrets that you've learned that has made your show better and made you a better podcaster that you might want to share with somebody listening who's contemplating starting a podcast? Because again, it seems like everyone in this freaking world has a podcast right now or is going to have one. Hmm. You can always DM me. I get these a lot. You, I don't know if you do. I, I get DMs a lot yeah. from people asking like quit technical yeah. questions and stuff like that. Yeah. I can I can tell you the technical stuff. That's pretty cookie cutter no matter what you're doing. I guess the only thing I would say is that if you have a, a show that you want to do, you don't want to imitate someone else. And I say that, and I put my foot in my mouth when I say that, because Bruce and I started because we loved Joe Biscalia and Matthew Fairburn. So sure. like, <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I guess I say it because relatively early on, we discovered- you. Yeah, we discovered like, we can't be them. 
So we have to do our own thing. So just make sure that whenever you do your podcast, whatever you're going to do it on Buffalo Bills or not, that who you are and what you're good at and whatever that is, you incorporate that in some way. And also be personable and be yourself. You know, have some have some personality and character into your into your delivery. If you're, you know, very monotone or you're just like low energy or whatever, I I have a hard time listening to those shows. You know, and I sure. don't know. It's I'm not going to name anybody. I can't even think of anybody off the top of my head. But th- those shows exist, and I can't do those. At the same time, if you're forcing it. Whenever you're, whenever you're talking and you're just like, and you could tell, and, and uh, you could tell, like if you drank three Red Bulls before you, before you recorded, cause you've got to <laughs> pump yourself up so much, you know, I don't know. You got to find another thing, find, find, a, find someone who you can do it with that can help you bring the energy. Right. So it does have to be, you know, like I, I said, genuine earlier, that's, those are really it, but I, you can't, I don't think you, you know that right off the bat. It's something you kind of build as you do it. I completely agree with you. That's great advice. If I could add two more, I would say have interaction, like discussions and topics that listeners can feel like they're being involved in. Give them an opportunity to chime in, whether you're throwing out your Twitter handle or whatever. Give them an opportunity to have an opinion that they want to voice. So I think that's very important. I, for the most part, try to do that. I try to involve, I have takes or or topics that I feel like people are going to have an opinion of. Instead of just listening to you or listening to me, they're going to want to have their own opinion about it. Now, there are a few exceptions, which I do remember when I did your show last week. I've admitted this. There's been a couple times, and you admitted this too. These were shows of mine that you don't listen to. I've had a couple reality TV singers on my show. I'm going to tell you right now, that was for purely selfish reasons. Having an American Idol former finalist on my show was not designed for Buffalo sports fans to really get into or to have an opinion and be interactive with. That's just something I wanted to do. You know, you said three years ago, if you would have told yourself that you would have Eric Wood on your podcast, you'd be pinching yourself. Well, I was a fan of American Idol. I'm just going to use one example here. And it was either the season before or the season after Carrie Underwood won. Elliot Yamin was a contestant on there. Never, no experience. Not a good looking dude, man. Didn't look like that star that a lot of these reality TV shows they, they just looked like stars. He wasn't that guy. But anyway, my point was this. Week after week after week, this dude sang. My wife and I looked forward to watching him. He made it all the way to the top three. And it was just awesome. So when I had an opportunity to reach out to him, I have him on my podcast for selfish reasons. I said, dude, I don't give a shit if five people listen to this show. I'm going to do it for myself. And uh, so I do that every now and then. But for the most part, I don't. And then the one other thing too, and this is simple. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's definitely happened to me. Double check your shit. Make sure that like if you have Facebook open or if your ringer on your phone is on, make sure everything is off before you start taping. And last but not least, and this has happened to me before, make sure you're hitting the record button. I've had one or two (laughs) interviews before. I got a good 10, 15 minutes into an interview before where I realized the button was Adam Kaplan was on my show and I had to redo an entire 15 minute, the first 15 minutes. I can't, I, I lied to him. I don't remember what I told him. I said I had an issue with the software. It was no issue. The issue was I'm an idiot. And if I got to hit the record button, so that's why we had to do it. It happened again, not too long ago, actually. Uh, Joe Buffalo wins on Twitter. Now I really yeah. don't give a shit about him and having to tell him that I, that I had to redo the recording. You know he what I'm saying? Did, so it on purpose. Did, did it ever happen to you? Have you ever had any issue with like, Oh shit, I forgot to turn this off or I didn't hit record. Have, or are you one of the lucky ones? 
Oh no, we've literally had the software. We we use Audacity to edit. And there was an upgrade that they released that I did not download. We always use my computer to record. And I would say six, maybe seven times the software would freeze and we wouldn't know that it froze unless we looked uh-huh. at the at the screen. So we don't we yeah. didn't know how far how far back it froze, if it kept recording, if the screen just wasn't registering it. We have to restart my machine and then pray to God that I had saved it. There were a couple where I had never saved it. We had to restart the whole thing. There was one we did the entire episode and it crashed five minutes before we were done. Um, it was really, really sucked. Really just, just awful. I mean, just sucked so bad. Yeah, we've had a lot of technical issues, but they've been legitimate. You probably just didn't record Joe for the first 15 minutes on purpose. So his piss could cool right. down and you could actually yeah. record with him. <laughs> and again, it was Joe. So I really could care less about telling him that I, that I messed up and we got to do it over. But I remember it happened with someone else too early on, but I definitely remember Adam Kaplan. I remember bullshitting for some reason that we had to, to do it over. So anyway, that's Patrick and Nick's advice for you aspiring podcasters out there that are probably going to end up doing better than either of us do. Let's talk bills for a future award-winning here. podcasters. Future, I stopped saying that. You know what? Maybe I should go back to saying that. I, I kind of <laughs> that was a that, that was a good shtick. We all need a good shtick. Yeah, well, it was you know a good shtick. You, you are a Bills podcaster. At the end of the day, we've done almost an hour now, and we haven't even talked about the Bills, which I tend to do on this show. But anyway, we'll spend a few minutes talking about them. Josh Norman on TMZ, an interview he just did, basically alluded to him that that he's now going to be an all-world cornerback again. I want to play the exact quote. I got the audio. It's a little bit choppy because it was on TMZ and it was via Skype. But if you didn't hear this, folks, this is what he said exactly. You're reuniting with Coach McDermott. Do you feel a Pro Bowl season for you coming? Man, I feel like all-world's coming. Um, everything really want to put you know, put it out there to say that, but you put things into, you know, the atmosphere as they are, even though you have to work on them and, and get through it. And for me, it's just something that I always pride myself in. And, and being. All right, I'm going to cut off there because, like I said, it was via Skype on their audio and pretty choppy, but you get the gist of it. Dude said he's going to be an all-world corner. Can't fault him for having confidence, right? Although I'm not quite sure, based on what I've seen for the last few years, that's coming from. I certainly hope that he is right. I I am suspicious. He um in in a lot of ways he's actually physically similar to Levi Wallace. He lacks, you know, a little bit of quickness in his in uh his lower body and he is he was not, you know, a high caliber athlete as far as his testing when he came out of uh college at the combine and he's now a little bit older, so he has some experience and savvy, but he also is probably going to fall potentially victim to a lot of the similar things that made Levi Wallace a target at certain points last season, which is just a, a flat out, you know, some guys can out athlete you uh, whenever yeah. you are, whatever you are in man coverage. Now at the same time, he was playing in a system that was a very ill fit for him. He was hung out to dry a lot by uh, poor safety play at Washington that made him look worse than I think he was. So, I certainly, you know, I I understand why people who think it's going to work out believe that it's going to work out. I I get where you're coming from. I I hope you're right. I think it is. I think that he's penciled in as as CB two right now. They gave him more money than they paid Kevin Johnson. So and Kevin yep. and they paid him more money than Kevin Johnson got on the open market. 
So they could have kept Kevin Johnson for less than what they paid uh, Josh Norman. I'm suspicious of it. I'm on record saying I'm suspicious that it's going to work out. I certainly hope that it does. And um, I guess, you know, we can talk about it till we're blue in the face. The the concerns remain the same and we're just not going to know if it's going to work until they set foot on the field and we actually see some play. I'll tell you what, there's two things about this team that I have concerns on at this point as we get into the season. Number one is I feel like this was a good year for the Bills to go out and sign one of these bigger name quarterbacks that were out there in the market. And I know Cam Newton's out there, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't feel good if Josh Allen gets hurt early in the season, something significant. I don't feel good whatsoever about Matt Barkley carrying this team and getting them to where they would go with Josh Allen. Everyone's picking this team. We'll talk about this in a second too. Everyone's picking this team to win the AFC East. I think the season goes in the shitter if Josh Allen tears his ACL in week two. Whereas they had Jameis Winston out there, Andy Dalton just signed with Dallas. Like I said, Noonan's out there. I just wish they would have done more at QB2, given that Allen has yet to prove himself, although he's getting better. But this is year three, a prove it year. And the way he just he plays, he's prone to getting injured. Now, I'm not saying he's an injury prone guy, but he is prone to getting injured. Those are two different things. And then number two, and this is something that your partner, Bruce, and I agree on very much. I don't like cornerback position outside of Trey White for the Bills right now at all. I was very much in the camp of I wanted the Bills to take a corner in round two, round three at the very worst, because after Trey White, not sold on Norman, not sold on EJ Gaines, even staying healthy and making a team, let alone being a good player. Uh, I'm not sold on Levi Wallace. I feel like he regressed pretty much big time last year, although he did finish the season a little bit better compared to his rookie year. And Teron Johnson, who's a, a slot guy, just can't stay healthy, man. So. You know, Josh Norman was great in 2015 with Carolina, but stunk in Washington. I know some of it is the team, the culture, and all that other stuff. But dude's 32 years old. He has not had a good NFL season in three years now. I think it might be asking a little bit too much to have this guy come to Buffalo and be anything even resembling what he was a couple of years ago when he was one of the best players. You know what I'm saying? So I guess it's kind of one of those. Let's just hope your weakness isn't a, a glaring weakness. To me, that's like the best case scenario where you could hope that CB2 is not a big liability. That's my best realistic hope for this team right now. You, you like to think that CB2 isn't really going to be any worse than it was last year. Now, maybe you think that Kevin Johnson's spot play is going to be better than whoever is going to spell Levi Wallace in similar circumstances. But you'd like to think that Levi Wallace isn't going to get worse. He's going to be a similar player. Maybe he's going to be a little bit better. His, you know, athletic traits aren't going to get any better, but maybe his savvy and his anticipation and whatever is is going to be, you know, uh, better than it has been. But uh, yeah, CB two, you know, I am more worried about right tackle. So the thing that I'm most worried about and and get you know my uh, I want to get on my soapbox about is is right tackle. Still, the Bills have done nothing to the offensive line. At all from last year. Now, last year was a great improvement. I, I, I agree. We went from god awful to acceptable, but I would have liked to go from acceptable to good, and we did not do that. Now, some people are going to try to make the case, and I, I'm not going to say that it's not possible that the team is going to improve on the offensive line simply by continuity of being together. More years in the system, more years playing together. Cody Ford getting another year of you know a full off season of conditioning and all of that stuff, and maybe he's going to be a better tackle. 
okay, I I hope so, right? That's what I'm going to say to all these things. I'm right. going to say I hope so. But I am, to me, the most important thing to, that we could have done is after help Josh Allen in the passing game by getting him a weapon is help Josh Allen in the passing game by protecting him. And we did not do anything to protect him more. So for a guy who does play a style of football that leads himself into injury positions or into injury situations, as you said, I would have liked to avoid as many hits as possible in the pocket. I think that's a fair point. I feel like Cody Ford, he needs to take more than a step. He would need to take a leap for that right tackle position and not be a concern. Now, what about the NFL schedule? Recently came out. What's your thoughts on having four primetime games? Not j- Well, I want you to factor everything in, okay? I want you to factor in the fact that you're the, a father to a young child, that you're a podcaster, which that doesn't really mean too much because your show's a Thursday, Friday show, your age, your career, your job. What's your, what's your take towards watching your team play in primetime and what about four times? I don't want to. I don't want any primetime games. I'll be honest with Thank you. you. I, yeah, I was I leading you to the. I, I was kind of staring you that way. I don't need any <laughs> fucking primetime games. That's fine. Yeah. I'll watch them at Sunday at one. That's fine with me. Now, I, what I do like, you know, we all we all have friends who are not fr- who are not Bills fans, right? Now, I live outside of Buffalo. I've got a lot of friends who are not Bills fans. I've, I haven't lived in Buffalo since I was a freaking toddler. I've got a ton of not Bills fans who are friends. It's nice to be recognized nationally and to get a little bit of that respect and to be, you know, your people bust your balls, but it's different, right? About sure. the team because you're not a laughing stock. You're not everybody's, you know, not the redheaded stepchild of the league. You're not all that, right? So that's nice. And I am glad to have that. And the excitement that the fans get, you know, the thing is, I don't think there's going to be fans in the stands. So, you know, we got all right. these primetime games. People are excited about going or they're excited, at, you know, home field advantage, whatever. It's like, I don't, I, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of people watching, but I don't know that it's going to be on television. It's not going to be in the stadium, right? It's, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. That, that's my opinion, right? So I, that's informed by some of the people I've, I've interviewed on my podcast. You can go find the episodes if, if you want to see if they sway you into that opinion as well. But the, uh, I don't need to stay up late. I got to wake up at 5 a.m. every day, no matter what. So I would like to be able to go to bed at a reasonable time, uh, not be challenged, you know, to fall asleep and get less sleep than I'm already going to get. And, you know, yeah, of course, I, I'm i old. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm, 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 a, I'm an old adult. So, yeah, I'm fine. I kind of feel like I was steering you in that direction the way I'm, I phrased I was, that question. You might have been steering me, but I was setting up camp there. So we're fine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to. I got a 10 up there as well, bro, because I'm going to tell you, I'm a creature of habit. And I know this might not be popular with Bills fans who, I under put it this way, I understand why fans are so excited because of primetime football, but if it was up to me and I was in charge of making a schedule, give me 16 games at one o'clock on Sunday. I love having the same routine each and every week. I love it. I don't like waiting to four o'clock. I don't want to wait Sunday night or Monday night or get it over with on Thursday because then I'm like, what the hell am I going to do on the weekend? Give me Sunday afternoon games. There is one thing I do like about it though. Side note here. Joe Buffalo wins. I'm talking about again on my show a couple of weeks ago, he was on and we, before the schedule came out, we had a bet and the bet was two and two and a half was the over under. I took the over. He took the under loser. had to sing a karaoke song of the winners choosing on this podcast. So obviously there was four. So I won 
So that motherfucker's got to sing a karaoke song. That is whatever. I, I don't know what Ooh. I'm going to pick from yet, but it's definitely going to be something embarrassing. And he's going to have to sing it on the podcast. Uh, Careless whisper, right? That's what it's got to be. That, I might, you got to put the saxophone a- <laughs> in the background there. That's a, that's a smooth, you know, get him some George Michael falsetto. That would be, that's a, that's a tough ask right there. <laughs> uh, seriously though, here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of predictions out there. Um, you know, Howard picks the bills on WGR that, I mean, that one's more for fun than anything, but a lot of serious football people out there are predicting the bills. I've seen a ton of people saying that they're going to go 12 and four this year. Now I'm certainly not saying that's impossible. Obviously it very much is. They were 10 and six last year. And basically if they even gave half effort, they would have beat the jets in week 17. They could have easily won 11 games. So basically you're only saying they're going to win one more game this year. 12 and four sounds like a lot. It's not impossible to get to. I'm just not feeling comfortable rejecting that for the bills right now like what are your thoughts on that it just i don't know what it is but it just i'm uneasy by i I mean i'm semi-confident saying i think the bills are going to win the division i'm not comfortable at all saying this team's going 12 and 4 no i'm i'm pretty firmly a 10 and 6 guy you're gonna always drop a game or two that you shouldn't i mean that's just that's that's football for the most part i mean unless you're a really really good team but we're probably going to drop one game that we shouldn't. So now you're at 11 and five, 12 and four is pretty optimistic. I mean, that's, that's like you're beating everybody that you should be really sure. You know, yeah. are we yeah. not going to, we're not going to drop one game to the jets. Now I don't want to, I don't think the jets are good, but I mean, it, that, that, that we've seen that happen a million times. We're not going to drop one game uh, to, I don't know, the Raiders in Las Vegas or something, you know, like these are games that, that you could lose that, um, that, but you're probably saying, Oh, it's winnable. So you're going to count it and it's going to contribute to 12 and four. For me, I think it's a 10 and 6 team. I do think we probably win the division at 10 and 6 because I think that the division is a little bit weaker than it obviously it's weaker than it has been. The Patriots are a totally different organization right now than they were previously. So I but for me, yeah, 10 and 6 is where I where I think we're going to be. I do not think that we're taking this leap into the kind of stratosphere that the uh, the you know, the um, Ravens have been in or that the Chiefs were were in. Um I I don't see us taking that kind of a leap unless Josh Allen takes a significant leap. And I want him to, but I still need to see it to believe it. I'm just a skeptic with when it comes to, you know, who he ultimately is going to be. I'm not I'm not a doubter. I think that he's a good player. I think he's going to be a starter for a long time. But is he going to become the kind of player that is going to lead this team to 12 and four? I don't I don't know yet. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't bet that. I think we're a 10 and 6 team. I do think we probably win the division. And I think that we have the opportunity to make noise in the playoffs. But whether or not he's a championship caliber quarterback, you know, I, and there's, there's a, we have conversations about that on our podcast as to what that means. You know, so we can talk about that another time. But um, for what that means to most people, I don't, I don't know that I would really sign myself up as though I 100% positive or, or even over 50% confident that that's going to happen in 2020. Well, I'll tell you what, Josh Allen to me is obviously, I'm not saying anything um, edgy here, but he's without question the key to where this team goes. It is interesting and worth noting that the majority of the media is the one picking the bills and win the division, many even having them go 12 and four. But I looked at the FanDuel Vegas Sportsbook odds today, and the bills are only 27 to one to win the Super Bowl, which is 14th best in the NFL. One of those teams ahead of them is New England. So according to the odds in Vegas right now, or at least FanDuel Sportsbook, New England's 23 to 1 and Buffalo's 27 to 1. So I don't, maybe the media sold on the Bills. Doesn't seem like 
Vegas is quite yet. Got one more question for you. Then we're going to wrap up with our fun fact finale. I love Twitter polls. I love questions on Twitter. I spend so much time retweeting them, posting them, stuff like that. I love seeing reaction. I love seeing other people's reactions to what I have to say. One question earlier this week that I saw and I answered was, what is your hottest personal sports take that you will never back down from? I said, Eric Bowles is the best Bills wide receiver in franchise history. More people agreed with me than I thought. I thought I was going to get flamed for that. I really didn't. It was about 50-50 or so. But anyway, tons of impressions, tons of engagements, likes, disagreements, stuff like that. A, do you agree with that? And B, I'm going to ask you the same question that I answered. What is your hottest personal sports take that you'll never back down from? So you got to believe in what you say. Man, I didn't see you say that about molds. Uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, I just watched Tyler Dunn. It's tough. Tyler Dunn, your former boss, just like tweeted at me because he said that Doug Flutie, uh, Rob Johnson was better than Doug Flutie. That he posted right, a 13, a 13 minute highlight reel of Rob Johnson uh, from YouTube. First of all, <laughs> let me say this. Half of that was the guys, the 13 minutes, half of it was the players celebrating after the touchdown. So it really should have been a six and a half minute video. Okay. Right. Number two. Uh, yeah. I mean, molds had a lot of, had a lot of plays in that highlight reel. Uh, so then I went and watched the Doug Flutie one and molds had a ton of plays in that one too. Yeah. I, I haven't thought about that man at all. I, I It's tough. It, it's if, it's if, a hard if, question if, to answer. If molds was during the, if molds his entire career was like over the same span as Reed, is Mold's going to have a better career? That's kind of the question, right? Because he's really only let, competing with Andre Reid. Let me give you even a hotter take than that. Someone, I want the replies I got. Somebody said if he was Marvin Harrison, if he would have went to the Colts instead of Marvin Harrison, who went, got drafted ahead of him, he goes, he would have been a top five receiver all time. Now, I think that might be a little, I said it was a lava take. That's like too hot for me to be able to handle. I don't know about all that. But the point being is, Eric Moles, we're even having this conversation despite the fact he had Flutie and Rob Johnson and some bums before that, whereas Andre Reid obviously had Jim Kelly throughout his entire career. So the fact, you don't have to answer that, but even the fact that we can have a conversation, a, an actual legitimate conversation tells you how good of a football player Eric Moles actually was. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, he was terrific. He was he was incredible. Absolutely. All right. You want my, you want my hot sports take, right? Yeah. Give it to me, man. Okay, I, I really don't know how hot this is, but I, I you told me to come up with the answer to this, so I've literally been thinking about it for days. I even asked people, like, what is my you know, people who I'm friends with that I've known for years, like, what is my hottest sports take? I don't, I don't know that I know what it is. My hottest sports take is that momentum is real, and that wasn't always a, an unpopular opinion, but at least how I think about momentum, I very much think that it it has a role and it influences player performance and all that stuff. And there's a lot sure. of people who, who would skewer me for that. The people who don't WGR, the, pe the people who hate momentum, hate momentum. They hate the idea. It is like, it is means you're, you're, you're an idiot. If you believe in that, right? Here's my take on it because I believe I get the opportunity to, to, to defend myself here. Sure. The, the way I think about momentum is that it is actually more of – it is sort of like a collective confidence. If a kid – let's say you're playing Little League Baseball and you go up and you think you're a terrible hitter. I was a – I played baseball for two years. I like hit the ball three times. I was horrible, horrible. <laughs> but 
there was a there was a time where I went up I three times is maybe low because this is this is the story. I went up and I, I went to bat and I hit this little dribbly grounder through the infield and I got on base as a result. I went to bat again. I had my first ever two hit game. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is it's great. I, all of a sudden, I thought maybe I had discovered something. I didn't know what I was doing any different, but I thought I was getting a little bit better. I then approached the game. I was able to lay down a bunt later. I was able to uh, look. I, I, I actually I took some walks because I was able to you know pay like have a little bit more confidence and discretion at the at the plate. All of that stuff is just like little things that made me a better player simply because I believed in myself and actually thought I could do it. I believe that there is a there is a that happening, but on like a macro level amongst 11 guys or 22 guys or 35 guys, however many players are you know being rotated in and out on the field, where if the majority of those players are in some way, shape or form being affected by that, and maybe there's a lot of players who are going to say that that doesn't happen. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe I am full of shit, but I believe that that can impact how people start to play. They can start to play conservative. They can start to play scared. Coaches can start to call games in that way. And I believe that they can start to feel like things are getting away from them. So they make a call that in a vacuum is maybe too aggressive or too conservative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that all of that stuff, it can start to feed on itself and it can start to perpetuate decisions and bad decisions and good decisions on the team. That's, that's, you know, feels like they can't do anything wrong. And, it just, it, it moves the needle. I, it's a sports psychology thing. And whenever I say momentum, I'm not talking about the actual, you know, I don't know, this invisible force of the gods just sort of swaying good luck and good fortune in one team's perf- in one team's direction. But I believe that it actually does affect individual player performance. And that can happen to multiple players simultaneously on a team. And it can start to move a team's performance in a bad way where another team starts to regain, you know, uh, their foothold on the game or get back into the game whenever they otherwise were out of it. So a lot of people who are probably going to think that's stupid and that there's a bunch of holes in that argument. That's what a hot take is for, I guess. But that's, that would be my, I think my hottest hot take. I like it, man. I think a lot of people will too, except for soap and bulldog over at WGR. They're not, they're going to hate your take. They're not momentum guys, but I like it anyway, man. So check it out. Here's what we're going to do. I had you on the podcast the first time, didn't even realize it at the time. I kind of I treated you like shit, bro. I didn't give you the star treatment. So that's changing right now. I used to call it mini lightning round. Now it's the fun fact finale. I'm just going to ask you some random questions, which by the way, most of these you asked me on your podcast last week, which is funny because I told you this, I've done dozens of these with other people and I never thought of the answers for myself. So I looked like an idiot on a couple of the ones that you asked me my own damn questions. And I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to throw them at you. So, and again, I got one or two that I didn't tell you about. I kind of sprinkled in there. So yeah, I'm going to make sure you at least are on your toes one or two times here. So you good to go? I'm good to go. Let's, let's give it a run. All right, here we go. This is how we end. Favorite all-time athlete. Doug Flutie. All right. Favorite city that you have visited. Uh, Ooh, that's a good one. Let me think here. Pro- New York City, New York City. Okay, New York City. Me too. By the way, it's a good one. Who was your first celebrity crush? Mm, first celebrity crush, Christy Swanson. I think her name is. No, oh, no. Yeah. 
Elizabeth Shue, either Christy Swanson or Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue was in Cocktail, right? <laughs> she was in Cocktail yep. with Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yep. Elizabeth Shue. All right. What is your late night, I can't sleep, I'm up in the middle of the night, go-to snack? Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its, all right. What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other? Ocean's Eleven. And I, I, I just would, it's super stupid. I don't, it's a good movie. It's fun. It's easy. That's actually why the, why I would watch it so much. It's easy. I could just put that on in my dorm room and have it on almost as like background music. I didn't have a ton of DVDs, but that was one that I had. And I would just put that on and let it play. I had a, you know, funny, you know, jazzy soundtrack. And, uh, it was that, well, you know, any scene you were watching was a little bit entertaining. So yeah, Ocean's Eleven probably. (laughs) All right. This is a question that you asked me again, one of my own questions that I fumbled all over and sounded like an idiot on this one. Name a TV game show that you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current or past game. Now, when you asked me this, I pretty much didn't have an answer for you. I said I had to be on a team like Family Feud or something. That was bullshit. I I don't know why I thought of that in the heat of the moment, but like Stump the Schwab would have been something that I personally think I could have done well on. But this ain't about me. This one's about you. So give me a game show, man. Legends of the Hidden Temple. Do you remember that? Legends no, of the Hidden tell Temple. tell me about it. There's <laughs> people who get it are going to think it's hilarious. Legends of the Hidden Temple was a Nickelodeon game show. I thought it was, when I was a kid, I was like, I could fucking do this. These kids are, you got to, you do like a bunch of obstacle courses. And then there's one, there's one, uh, there's one section of the game where it's like a quiz and you are on a team when you have a partner. But the thing is, is when at the very end, when you get down to the last two teams, they start with, I think, six or four. They say it was six, I think. They narrow it down to two that go head to head in this final like obstacle round. Okay. Well, in the obstacle round, you go into this this temple, quote unquote, like an old uh, Incan Mayan temple or whatever. It's the theme. And you got to put together, you got to like find the, 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 the medallions and uh, you got to put together the little puzzle monkey and stuff like that. And there was this thing you had to do, which was, I think it was called the silver monkey. It was a three piece stackable, like figurine that you had to just assemble correctly. You had to put the the bottom, then the middle and then the head, and then it would open the door. So you could proceed onto the next room of the obstacle course. These fucking kids, man, I don't know how you could watch this show and not know how to put the goddamn silver monkey together, but the highlights are on YouTube. (laughs) Full episodes are on YouTube for you to watch if you want to from this, you know, late nineties, early mid nineties, uh, game show. And these kids putting together the silver monkey, I was pulling out my hair. I could have done that in my sleep, uh, legends of the hidden temple. (laughs) I got to I never knew about that. All right. So here's the next one. Uh, Instead of doing this interview via Zencaster, me and you are hanging out in Ohio right now, okay? And uh, we're at a bar and there's karaoke going on. And at least in our imaginary world, you're like an amazing singer. You're going to grab the mic, you're going to get on stage. What song are you going to sing, whether you're rocking it out, whether it's a ballad, whatever it may be, that everyone who's in the crowd, and they're not really paying much attention to karaoke, but once you get up there, they're paying attention. Like, oh, this is awesome. And they start singing along with you, whatever have you. What would be like your signature karaoke song in your own mind, at least? <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, I, you know, I, I've had a couple of answers to this that I've cycled through, but one that I think would be really funny and would be people people would enjoy, especially if I got really into it and if I was really talented. Because I mentioned the careless whisper thing earlier for Joe, I'll go with George Michael again. If I was going to do Jitterbug, 
If I was going to do, <laughs> I think if you were doing jitterbug and you were really into it and really good and just like, just joking around and having a good time. I think people, I think people would get into that. I don't know if that's absolutely, in like a, I don't know if that's in a whole lot of like, uh, you know, karaoke catalogs, but, uh, you know, you get a couple, you get a couple, uh, scotches in you and you go up there and you let the jitterbug go. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. The wake me up before you go, go song you're talking about, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Definitely, man. All right. Last couple here. Who's your favorite Twitter follow? And uh, you can't say a bunch of people. You, if you you got to pick one because usually I'll ask this and say, if Twitter were to say you're only allowed to follow one person per person, that's it. You can't follow. You could have a million followers, but only you can only follow one Twitter account, and that is it. Who would it be? Rex Chapman for sure. That's he's, a uh, great one. Yeah, he's the uh, he's become really famous for what he does on Twitter. He's the blocker charge guy, but now he just. He's such a great aggregator of like feel good or funny videos, like the stuff that you want to see. Uh, yeah. Easy. Rex Chapman. I'll tell you what he, I, I agree with you. That's a great follow. I still, I'm one of the few people out there when I think of Rex Chapman, I think of one of the sickest college basketball players at Kentucky. I could ever remember watching. I was such a big fan of his growing up on your show. I said, Adam Schefter, no disrespect to Adam. I love Adam and all, but I changed my mind by the way, for the record. I would say cage side seats. And what that is, it's a wrestling Twitter account. And I say that because I'm a lifelong wrestling fan, but I don't watch wrestling anymore. Sometimes I just don't have time. Other times I just don't feel like it. It's not fun for me like it used to be anymore, but I still like to keep up. It's kind of like, uh, you know, watching a TV show that you really don't watch anymore, but you still want to know what's going on with it. So for any, that's the reason why I would say that one, because it, uh, it would keep me up to date. All right. I got uh, three more here. Okay. Two of these I know you don't know because I'm, I just made them up about 15 minutes ago in my head. So <laughs> we all say we all say that we wouldn't trade our life with anybody out there. I personally think that's bullshit. I don't care how cool your wife is, how much you love your child. Everybody out there would swap their life with someone. So if you could swap your life out with one person, who would it be? Oh, wow. That is a very interesting question. Um, hmm. I think I would Bill Gates comes to mind pretty quickly because I think that he, of course he has like, you know, the incredible wealth, which they say money doesn't buy happiness. I'd like to try and then like, <laughs> give let, it a go, <laughs> let you know if that's true or not. But um, <laughs> he, with what he does at now, the Bill and the Melinda Gates, Gates foundation and how he's sort of just focused on the philanthropic side of things and, gets to work with really, really interesting, challenging problems and gets to talk to then some by, by result, some of the you know, smartest, most fascinating, accomplished people to try to solve these problems or make a difference. Um, I mean, that's one I would, I would be interested in. I could never do what he did when he was younger, but I, I would be interested in being in the rooms that he's in now. All right. That's a good one. Second last one here. Give me a fun fact about yourself that most people might not know. Oh man, a fun fact about myself most people might not know. I I you know, I did not ever uh I didn't drink socially or like with anybody else. I had I had a beer or two like once by myself when I was in my basement, but I never drank before I was 21. Just uh wow. was not just was not part of the high school scene that I was in. Um and yeah, I did not drink until I was 21. Cool. That's uh, 
I can't imagine that. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, about I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, oh boy. I'll tell yeah. you what, real quick. Speaking of a fun fact, my last high school, I was a high school football player and I was never nothing special. I mean, I, I was a starter, but I wasn't good. I had no college future or anything remotely resembling that. But anyway, senior year, last game, our pep rally was on Friday. Our game was on Saturday. Myself and a couple buddies went, walked around the, the block drinking beers, got caught, missed the assembly, didn't get suspended for the game, didn't get to play one down. Sat on the sideline the entire game my senior year, last high school football game ever, because I got caught drinking out around the block before school as a teenager in high school. So that just got me thinking as you were saying par, par, that. I'm like, par oh. for the course, right, Pat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, <man. laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't, and I don't, you know, I, I believe me, if I had the, I say this, I don't make this make anybody feel bad for me or whatever, but if I, if I had the opportunity, I probably would have partaken. It just, it wasn't, it, it, I wasn't in that circle of people, you know, at high school, the people I was with, we, it, that just wasn't, you know, their style, my style, whatever. So uh, yeah, just never happened for me. That's cool, man. All right. So last one, this is a traditional ending question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any point of time at your dinner table, a couple beers now because you are 21 and you do drink, you can have a drink, some eats, who you got? See, I was thinking about this one too. And it's hard because it's like, do I want three individual people that I'm interested in? Or do I want to have three people that like I, I'm curating the party? You know what I mean? Like I've, I'm selecting sure. the people because of everybody sort of being around each other and, and being cool. Uh, one of them, let's see here. I I would probably do. Gosh, that is so hard. Whenever you have to fully pick it, I would say. Man, this my this is weird. Okay, I'm gonna say I heard somebody else say this on your podcast once. My uh, my grandfather passed away when I was uh, 14, maybe, and it would be really cool for him to be around and see his uh, great grandson. I mean, if that was possible in this scenario, there's no rules, so I'm gonna say it's possible. Uh, we're gonna do that. We'll say my. My grandfather, uh, we'll say um, Abraham Lincoln, and we'll say, oh, you know, I would say John F. Kennedy. But you know what I want? I know what I really want. See, it's a thing I've, I'm mixed about. I want, I want somebody who's going to tell me what the government knows about aliens. But if I invite them to the party, <laughs> it doesn't actually mean they're going to tell me or that they're going to be honest. But like, I want to like have Harry Reid, right? Like the senator, the old senator from Nevada, who like that dude knows all the secrets. He's passed bills where like money is going <laughs> to certain parts of the government and stuff like that. It's like that dude knows whatever there is to know. But it's, if I invite him, is he going to tell me anything? I don't know. You know, I'm not, that that jazzed about meeting Harry Reid outside of that. But I would, I maybe JFK knows, so I'll go with him. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, all three of your answers are a lot better than the Olivia uh, Newton John one that I gave. When you asked me this on your show last week, although that was my first crush, man. So actually I, I stand by that. But anyway, everyone give Nick a follow on Twitter at Nick Bat. Of course, the Nick and Nolan show Thursdays and Fridays, Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcast, man. This was Nick Bat Week on TVP. This was fun, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, not a problem. I mean, I hope that your listeners like it. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. I love talking to you. 
All right, everyone, that is going to do it for today. Very big thank you again, Nick Bat from Nick and Nolan Show. Always love talking to Nick, having him on the podcast. That was fun. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. It takes you about 15, 20 seconds to do. And it really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast a lot. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, you name it. We're all over the place. So catch us on any of those. Also, go on YouTube. Next time you're surfing around YouTube, type in Talk About Flow Podcast. Subscribe to that channel. I put up some highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. I keep saying original audio content, but truth be told, haven't really had any of that in a while, but that's going to be changing very soon. I'm healthy, energetic, ready to go. So I'm going to be having some new stuff exclusive to that YouTube channel. So it's not like the podcast, something different. Don't think you can subscribe to the podcast or YouTube, one or the other, the kind of separate entities there. But anyway, there's that. And then of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamarin Tweets. I say it all the time and I'm parked there, always there. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm always out there tweeting. I love Twitter. So follow me there. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that are listening to this podcast. Your time is important. That's what it comes down to. And I know more and more and more every single day how many podcasts there are out there, how many other things there are to occupy your time. So when you're tuned into this, it uh, it's really humbling. And I'm very grateful very appreciative. So thank you very much again. Have a good weekend. Please stay safe. Continue to do what you're supposed to do. And hopefully we'll get back to a little more normalcy as soon as possible. So take care. Talk to you. Brand new episode coming up on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.